Hello, Polytopians. Thanks for tuning into the Polytopian Times. I'm your host, Sam, and today I'm joined by Riley Zane. Uh, thanks for joining me. Of course, always a pleasure. Definitely and always a pleasure having you on the uh, on the show here. And uh, folks, today we are wrapping up the last of the tribe episodes, and uh, we're going to be doing that with uh, perhaps the most underwhelming of the tribes, uh, Aquarian. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, uh, let's dive into it, pun intended. The waves crash against the pink coral shoreline in front of you as you relax on the small sun-drenched beach outside of one of the Aquarian seaside cities, the resort town of Polnep. It's been many busy turns since your deal with the Polaris was struck, and business has been booming. The tribes of the Hotter Climbs are a steady source of sales for the Inuki crystals you can deliver by Faichi, and you've already begun to create your fortune, although the Horn Trading Company has never relented on setting up obstacles for you while pushing for tariffs and regulation on your company. Still, you've seen a level of success you'd only ever dare dream of, and this trip to the lands of the Aquarian is as much about pleasure as it is about business, unlike your earlier journeys. So you sit on the beach and enjoy the fruits of your success. Like many other Aquarian cities, Polnep is an elaborate settlement nestled atop the pink coral islet that rises out of the shallow tropical waters that cover the majority of their lands. Beneath those waters are other light blue reefs, abundant with life. The tops of them are so close to the surface that normal polytopians can walk across them. They're dotted with holes and caves in the reef where a careless step can lead to a watery plunge. Around the bay in front of Polnep, you see dark green kelp forests sprouting up through the water in various clusters, reaching up towards the sky. More of the pink coral islets jut out of the water in the distance, looking like mountains against the placid sea. Near to you, you see some light green speckled cylinder flesh with a light red protrusion at the top. It's a tunico, a sort of sea cucumber, which the Aquarian harvest as if it were a piece of fruit. They grow in a profusion on the reefs, a constant source of food alongside the ubiquitous fish for their amphibious neighbors. There's a sudden commotion ahead of you, a sloshing as a turmalon surfaces and paddles onto the blue reef just below the water's surface. It's a large, long-necked sea turtle with a bright green shell that's trimmed in white and a pink fin as a crestnut's head. Now that you know what to look for, you see more of them in the ocean beyond the newcomer, some lazily swooping through the deeper water, while others are hard at work helping their Aquarian brethren. The Termalons have always had an extremely close bond to their polytopian counterparts, and vice versa. When they aren't off helping their Aquarian allies, the Termalons like to swim through the mysterious depths of the oceans, flitting about underwater ruins that the Aquarian like to call sunken palaces from lost cities. Although what specifically they sojourn to is still largely questionable in your opinion. From what you've been able to gather from an Aquarian dissident that had traveled far from their home, Unlike virtually every other people on the square, the Aquarian don't trace their lineage back to any of the modern tribes. The tale went that long, long ago, when the square was still young and the ancients had just survived the long and bloody war of the Forgotten Ones, when the ancients had united the disparate peoples of the square as one, the mysterious energy known as magic had still permeated the fabric of the world, with concentrated hotspots of magic above the baseline. It was a wild and powerful force of nature in those turns, although the inhabitants of the square had in a primitive manner learned how to harness that power to their benefit, be that good or otherwise. Much of the magical energy that had existed in the square had been expended by all sides in the war, the first and last conflict to use it in such scale or with such utter destructive force. At the end of the conflict, the baseline level of magic was nearly non-existent, and the hotspots the ancients controlled had been virtually exhausted. Although the ancients had stood victorious and unopposed, 
the memories of that titanic and devastating struggle left them paranoid of a turn when the chaos could once more break out without the power of their magical stormbringers and the war chimera to save them. So they sought to find and control the remaining hotspots from the conquered peoples of that first war, and in doing so realized they too had little left to give. It was this crisis that prompted the wave of exploration that in many turns led to the discovery of the Eleron Forest, although their first discovery was instead the enchanted corals of the Aquari Reef. A group of sailors from the province of Kiku had been attempting to chart out a rumored shortcut to the Luxador lands, called the Southeast Passage, when they had sighted this strange bright reef. They dropped anchor and spent several days exploring as far as they could by rowboat over the shallow surface waters, taking coral samples and a termalon back to the ship with them. They reported their findings to the regional administration of the province of Luxador after completing their passage, and word was sent to the capital. Not long after, a research station was set up in the reefs, and it operated safely for many, many turns. In the war, many of their mages and their knowledge had been lost, but the ancients had still possessed a repertoire of different magics with a special affinity for lightning magic. Although the Stormbringer's name was changed after the war to Electricians, a shorthand for electrical magicians, to be more friendly and appealing to the new empire. Many provinces of which still held survivors who had fled those frightening barrages of lightning, their accompanying ground-shakingly thunderous booms that could cause rock slides and avalanches in mountainous regions. The ancients also had a special affinity for a certain sort of magic, one that could make hybrids of different beasts, chimeras. They used this magic to create all sorts of beasts that still exist on the squares cannon fodder in the war, and afterward designed more for easily produced and exploited labor in their new empire. During the height of the war, they'd even broken a taboo of theirs, combining whales with polytopians to create the first giants. The giants were a crucial piece of the ancients' victory, but in creating a chimera out of a polytopian, they had crossed a line in many of their new subjects' minds, one that drove a deep sense of dissent in certain territories. But once the giants had been created, they were here to stay, reproducing by egg, albeit slowly, just as any polytopian would. And this would be their legacy with the Aquarian. The ancients wanted to protect and exploit the Aquari Reef. They also wanted to keep a fairly low profile while doing so, so they used their magic to engineer the life forms of the reef into something more defensible. Their first attempts created the Termalons, when they attempted to combine a turtle, a fish, and a polytopian, with the turtle as the base creature. They were intended to serve as swift, amphibious, and naturally armored guardians, and were trained by the researchers, giving them a very close bond. These were initially just paired with the crabs, a gigantic combination of crustacean, polytopian, and whale, with a two-stage adrenaline system, although they were still marginally smaller than the giants on the mainland. This worked for many, many turns as the Empire aged and the ancients slowly made an even more horrifying discovery than they had at the end of the war. The magical energy in the square was noticeably lower than it had been centuries ago. The square had been in a state of relative peace for that time. Magic hadn't been expended en masse. So... How had the magic faded? The researchers of the ancients came up with decay theory, a concept backed up by a simple mathematical formula that stated that the magic energy in the world was slowly discharging itself through the simple act of existing, and although it was low-grade at any given instant, the effect was like erosion when accumulated over many turns, eroding even the largest mountains of magic with time. They found most of the hotspots they guarded already lay dead, their energy long since having decayed away. Those that remained were given ever higher security and attention as the ancients attempted to find a way to measure and prevent the theorized decay while searching for other unexploited hotspots like the Aquari Reef. And the reef itself needed better security and camouflage. The ancients decided to use some of their remaining supplies of magic to create another hybrid. This one a combination of polytopian, fish, and termalon. 
It was the first attempt to use a chimera to create another hybrid, and they were prepared for the potential consequences. The experiment worked, and the Aquarian were brought forth as an amphibious steward force to accompany the Termalon and Crab Guardians in defending the reef from intruders. They moved the research station below the waves and set about their guarded isolation for many more centurneries after. Through the violent and brutal Civil War of the Ancients, when the last of their hotspots were exhausted, funding ever more savage magical attacks with their electrician armies. They wondered what had happened after they lost contact and no envoys from the Empire came to them. They stayed at their post as they had sworn to do long ago. And so the Aquarians slept as the war ended, and many turns of quiet peace came to follow. That was until a group of Kiku settlers sailed out to the reefs and, and staked a claim on the pink coral outcrop. The Aquarian were swift and efficient, executing their raid on the new village, taking it over with several Tridentians. Tridentians found they liked the coastal life they saw, and relayed word back to their station-turned-city. Deciding with this attempt to colonize that their cover was now blown, the Aquarian opted to try out this coastal life and found it much better than their generations under the sea. And thus the pink reef cities began to rise up once more into the air as the Aquarian returned from their long exile. In front of you, a large shadow appears below the Termalons and grows as it comes close to the surface. It's a mass of red crab, reaching the water onto the shallow blue reef in a massive splash, with several Aquarian accompanying it. The Aquarian you've seen have all worn silver helmets with pink fins atop them, akin to the one Termalons have, unsurprisingly. They're unique to this tribe. The helmets all have slits in the sides for their gills. The group moves past you, heading up the shore and into the city. The city itself rises up from the islet in a gleam of white marble, pillared white columns standing tall next to buildings with elongated, hexagonal windows framed in dark gray limestone. The ornate roofs are largely made of the same coral that their cities sit on, although some white marble roofs can be seen alongside magnificent golden domes that have a pink color peak at each corner. Although the Aquarians seem like a fierce, warlike people, they do still support the arts, as is evident in their exquisite architecture and their music. Famous Aquarian bands like Tik Polnepse orchestrate beautiful, otherworldly compositions like the Naolan Aquarian, a folk song that started as a lullaby in the early days of their exile, but grew rapidly in popularity and is now beloved by every Aquarian. You've got a ticket to a concert that you've been looking forward to, but you're quite certain they'll play that song. But it's a little later today, after your meeting with the local Termalon breeder, to discuss getting an exclusive supply set up for your company to sell. You may have come here for pleasure as much as business, but on this long road you've traveled all of these turns. You've known one thing to always be true. There's always work to be done. And that, folks, wraps up our tribe lore. So, let's uh, let's take a little bit more of a detailed look at the uh, the setup for the Aquarian. We can start out with air resource and terrain spawn rights, which are not as bad as they used to be, um, but mm -hmm. are still not amazing. <laughs> true, true. It's been better though, on the yep. right path. Yeah, definitely positive changes. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So uh, in some detail, they have fairly average mountain spawn rates and fairly average metal spawn rates, which means you have metal to leverage. However, they have the second lowest forest spawn rate next to Umaji, who has basically no forest. Um, they also have one of the lowest animal spawn rates, which means you really aren't going to be able to leverage hunting. And if you're forced to use it early on, it's going to have a bit of an impact on your economic growth later in the game. Um, beyond that, they do have higher than average fruit and crop spawn rates, although it's certainly nowhere near uh, Imperius or Quetzali levels. That's for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, there's also not the best start for them as they don't have a starting tech. Um, just don't start with one or really any perks at all. Yeah, it's um, always it's always puzzled me. I wonder why they haven't really started with a tech. I guess maybe at the time whenever <laughs> they were developed, it was like, oh, because it, it, it was for a special tribe. Maybe it was like, oh, well, maybe right. the fact that they're, you know, special is good enough. But, you know, these days, you know, that's not always true. You know, every tribe really needs a starting Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, even by the time Illyrian was out, you know, you would have been would have started to be like, OK, to be on par with Illyrian, maybe they should start with a rider. Certainly by the time yeah. Polaris was out. But now we're looking at the ancients and that's past Simanti. Oh, yeah. True, true. <laughs> but well, I mean, I guess it's not all bad, right? They do have some positive tech changes, which are useful. But for the most part, they're pretty basic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, in some detail there, they have uh, riding. The The difference here is uh, they have amphibians instead of riders, who are amphibious, as the name suggests. And it also allows movement in shallow water. So it's uh, an alternative way to get to sea instead of sailing. Um, past that, uh, chival or sorry, free spirit was replaced by free diving. Uh, and that unlocks temples, the disbandability, same as always. And it also enables movement on deep water. So you can do that instead of navigation. Uh, past that, you can get Spearing, which replaces Chivalry, and that's going to unlock the Burn Forest into Farm Ability, same as always. But it also gives you Tridentions instead of Knights, which are kind of the one of the better units in the game, and certainly, I think, Aquarian's best unit, hands down. Um, they don't have any special buildings, but they do have special units, and those are, obviously, the uh, first off, the Amphibian which costs three stars, has 10 health points, two attack, one defense, two movement, and the fortify, dash, escape, and float abilities. They can uh, move on land and at sea. Um, that two movement, though, only counts on water. Uh, on roads, they get four, because mm. you get to double it with the road bonus. Sorry, And um, just like tridentions, um, amphibians and tridentions only move a tile on land if there's no road there. It doesn't matter what the terrain is. Uh, without a road, they can't move quickly. And the fastest they move on water is two tiles. So really, it's either move them as slowly as like a warrior boat on water, or you use a road and you get the full perk that you get if you had a rider at night in terms of movement. Mm hmm yeah. yeah, I think I think the Tridentians have a lot of potential as a really cool unit. I think a lot of the units that um, Aquarion has have a lot of potential. I mean, just design-wise, they look really cool. You know, the whole tribe has a really cool aesthetic. You know, they're very unique. You know, I, I like the, you know, kind of like Atlantis theme in a way, where, you know, they came back up <laughs> from the depths, you know, yeah. to strike back against the square, you know. But yeah, I, I think I think the the tradition does, you know, have a lot of potential. That it does definitely, uh, definitely their best unit. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, some stats on those guys. They cost you eight stars, so it's the same cost as um, long time ago knights. Um, back when they were first developed, they were on par with knight cost as they were the replacement for knights. Um, nowadays, it's actually a bit cheaper, and it makes them even better to use. Uh, only cost you eight stars, have 15 health points, three attack, one defense, two movement. The important thing about that three attack, which is on par with a sword, but with the movement of a rider, 
is that it's also at a range. Uh, they have two ranges. It's the same as having an archer, really, uh, because they also have the uh, the dash ability, meaning they can attack after moving. And uh, to really top it off, uh, they have the, the fortify and the float ability as much as the amphibian does, and they also have escape much as the amphibian does, which when you pair it with a ranged attack and the movement of a rider with roads becomes very quickly very powerful and is the reason Aquarian can be quite overwhelming in the late game um mm -hmm. but you have to get there right yeah absolutely it's the hardest part you know getting <laughs> to the late game <laughs> yeah, true that uh last off with their special uh special units we have the crab the giant replacement uh you get that from leveling up a city as you would any giant um really not a lot different here they have 40 health points four attack and four defense uh so a little bit weaker on the offense than a giant but largely the same they only have one movement but they do have the float ability meaning you can embark them without needing to have anything other than um well you need riding still to be able to move on the water or sailing i believe but um you can still do that without embarking them uh catch 22 is they won't go into a port to make a giant battleship so that won't be an option but they do have the escape ability so if you attack something and successfully clip they can move afterwards they don't have dash however so you still have to move slow like a giant and then wait a turn in front of your opponent before you can attack and use escape but it's there um and it makes them slightly more useful than giants uh when it comes to land battles um and questionable at sea because literally and any any standard tribes water a bunch of warrior boats can just kite it for a couple turns and even if it doesn't mm -hmm. die it's super weak when it gets there true true yeah it's a very vulnerable but it, it i mean it's powerful but whenever it comes to what could be the opposition sometimes you know it definitely can get overwhelmed very easy True that, true that, true that. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some uh, overall perks and drawbacks for this tribe, and we can start with the perks. But before I hop in, uh, Riley, I want to give you a chance to uh, talk about what perk you think is definitely number one for Aquarian. I, mean, I definitely think the cheap naval force is very good whenever it comes to um, exploring. Uh, if you're on continents or, I mean, we're not going to talk mm. about water world. I mean, you've got such a big, you know, bonus there. But in terms of just a regular game of Polytopia, I mean, you can get the jump on any like, like of the water ruins or if there's any, you know, if there's any like tribes or islands sticking out there, you could go grab those. Or yeah. even if you're trying to do like a naval invasion, you know, it's not, you know, in that early game, there's, you can't really find a naval, like a, like a naval force that easy you know no. so you can definitely get the jump on somebody but then again you know mid to late game it kind of evens out so but i definitely think <laughs> if you can get the jump on somebody with that uh, early naval force i mean you can definitely have the upper hand there definitely i gotta agree with you it's um definitely one of their big perks is uh again the one of the earliest and definitely the cheapest naval force to throw out and that's for exploration fighting you, you nailed it in the t there um and mm. then i mean the thing everybody talks about that we don't really have to say but you might as well try dungeons they, they're the best raiders in the game they're hard to fight but i mean you have to get like you have to get it going you have to get to that point you're gonna want more than like a trident too 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that is what it is. Um so we can talk about some drawbacks, uh, of which there are a few, but again, I want to give you uh first dibs on what you think is probably their biggest one. Hmm. I think probably slow without roads. I mean, they are pretty slow. Like I, I've played a good bit of games recently with Aquarion just because you know, like I said earlier, I love their aesthetic and I really want to at least have them in like my top five best drives. Right. But right. the most painful thing is that they're pretty slow until you can get some infrastructure or, you know, <laughs> any sort of setup, you know, so that that's a big hurdle to get over. But I mean, once you do get roads, it gets better. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is the road part, man. It's hard to get places. But I mean, yeah, that, that would be my number one drawback and and the resource spread. They're like I've had some barren oh, yeah. spawns. <laughs> I feel you there. They, they it's it really is. They they're super slow. Everything is. I mean, not a single one of their special units is fast without. And then you, you nailed it on the head. The resources could be so much better. Not starting with a tax sucks. We mentioned that earlier, but that's that's also mm-hmm. not amazing at all. No special units, just a warrior. And then mm-hmm. no giant battleships. I mean, of all the things to really really hurt you as the naval tribe is the fact that you don't have like a heavy anchor to throw out any tribe that has naval capacity could throw out a giant battleship and like give you a real contestation for any forces you throw out i mean trends are cheap they're slow Mm -hmm. and they're not the best fighting force at sea so i'm with you there um yeah yeah but yeah uh might as well go through a, a quick little bit of uh strategy here um just thinking starting off uh, usually I go for the double warrior start kind of, I mean, everything situational as you spark would always say, uh, you know, ghost of you spark here. Um, you, if you start off on a tiny Island, then maybe don't do the double warrior start and maybe look for a way to grow yeah. your economy instead or go riding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, you can try and focus on your first economic tech and riding early helps. Um, cause you want to get to try and so you want to get to customs houses in pretty much any map except for dry lands, in which case, you just worried about tridents and roads. Um, mm. Yeah. 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 I definitely agree with the double warrior strategy when you have the opportunity to, because <laughs> yeah. whenever it comes to exploring, that's very important because they are slow at exploring sometimes. So getting, you know, two units to spread out, go in opposite directions is definitely helpful. Yeah. 100% with you there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, some general advice, um so i mean just high level on their maps they they're okay on most maps um it's ironically enough they suffer the most on Waterworld maps without a lot of space and uh they probably play their strongest on like a solid drylands map again that's just as long as they can get roads without roads they're gonna have a much mm. worse time but yeah um another mm. note amphibians are something to maybe not overlook they're not the best units by any means but uh they, they're a cheap way to get out exploring and expanding by like turn five or six of the latest and uh they're also a remarkably cheap way to fight an early naval war like you were saying just a bit ago uh it's only three stars versus um i mean a boat's like just the two stars for the warrior but it'll die so fast to even just the one rider um they yeah. start throwing out ships that's what seven stars if you kill that with two riders at six stars and they don't get any kills and now you're getting vet it's it can go in your favor mm-hmm. quickly till they get up uh 
maybe even just aquatism but yeah uh or just mm-hmm. even just warrior ships i think once maybe you run into like defender ships maybe that's where it starts not going so mm-hmm. well in your favor yeah for sure yeah, yeah. so you definitely got to get the jump on them like i said earlier you know try to wipe out any possibility for <laughs> you know one of those defender ships you know yeah oh, get yeah. them while they're weak <laughs> no that, that's a that, that is in general good advice um i mean and if you can't get amphibians and you're going to be alive long enough it's tridents all the way uh that i mean i hate to be that that guy it's so basically yeah go go tridents that's good solid aquarian advice uh whenever you can um and again on land with roads is the way to go you want to avoid open water whenever possible small amounts of water are actually quite nice you can leverage them as an advantage especially because maybe something two or three tiles wide is maybe something a player will be a little reluctant to spend all the stars to get into whereas you have the capability to use it as your own sort of uh wall uh your own sort of one-way wall too which is real nice um although again once you start fighting big naval wars and you're fighting ships and battleships and they have three movement and you have two movement on your trident and your amphibians you're gonna have to maybe start looking at standard ships and at that point you're in a losing fight you can't make gbs and you're not leveraging what makes you special and you're paying the same price as your opponent probably with a worse economy to boot so um that's just something to keep in mind but yeah you are going to want to go for customs houses anyways you'll have the possibility to um yeah uh some high level counter advice for me you want to go in early on and hit aquarian early on before they get a chance to get amphibians or tridents obviously get in their way hit them hard they don't have a good eco so uh try and build up your economy and out economy them and um if you're stuck in a naval fight with them and you have the chance to keep them at sea maybe go and get aquatism because uh, you can get that big old defense bonus that uh, buffs your ships up to, what, three defense and uh, battleships up to, what, I think four. I'd have to double check. It does bump them up a good amount in terms of defense, and uh, it can really make it a uh, losing fight for uh, even tridents, even though they're um, less expensive if you start losing them on mass and you don't have as much production capability. Besides that, you want to leverage your ability to outspeed them because... Anything you throw at sea past a standard no investment boat's gonna be faster. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Any thoughts on your end? Um, yeah, I think definitely with counters. Um, definitely hit them early on before they can get a chance to build up, because you know once they get the riders or the tridentians, it's gonna be really hard to get them. You know, naval wise. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a bit of an even exchange at times. It it I guess it depends on the player and how they plan to do their naval invasions or plan to take on Aquarion. But it, I mean, it, there's kind of a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, yeah. that's true. And uh, kind of take what you need to uh, use what fits the uh, the situation at hand. Again, uh, the ghost of you spark here going. It's circumstantial or uh, situational. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, uh. I'm going to turn the tables a little bit, and Riley, why would you use Aquarian? Well, like I said earlier, I just, I really like their aesthetic. Um, I also like how they are a bit unique because they can, you know, they use the water to their advantage a lot. You know, they can go on water when there's not very many units that can do that. I mean, it's really just Aquarian that, you know, have those unique water abilities. Um, and Tridentian's really cool. I really like the idea 
of, you know, a long range night. I've always thought that was really cool. And I think, you know, overall, if you can get a strategy down, like, you know, it, it's just fun to, you know, yeah. try to rise up against the odds, I guess you'd put it, you know, even <laughs> though they do have a lot of setbacks there, it's fun to work out a strategy. Like if you're playing crazy mode, it's, you know, that's always fun to do, you know, crazy mode, full tribes. It's definitely a challenge, especially with Aquarion, since if they are in such a small spot and they already don't have good terrain generations, it definitely is a challenge, but it's certainly rewarding every time you get an Aquarion win because you're like, ha, beat that haters. Aquarion is great. You know what <laughs> I mean? So that, that's, why yeah. I, that's why I've been trying to play Aquarion. Hey, uh, those are all good reasons, man. And it's uh, not too far off from uh, what I, uh, what I, what I've got in my own mind. I mean, obviously, trans are fun and they're they're very strong. Um, and oh, I, I guess if you have a limited tribe selection, like maybe you're in polychamps or something, you only have so many points, so you decide it's what you want to play, or uh, maybe you've been kicking the butt of a friend you've been playing against for a bit too long recently, and you want to. Maybe have a bit of a handicap and they can have a little advantage. So I guess maybe that's a mm -hmm. another yeah, thought. Yeah. But obviously they look super cool. Seriously, some sick architecture. I love the buildings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with a little bit of a, re a rework, you know, bringing Aquarion up to speed, you know, up to the times. I mean, we've got some crazy, you know, special tribe units these days, you know, <laughs> with yeah. like Simanti, um Centipede, for example. Uh, I mean, that's just crazy unique. The fact that, I mean, there's nothing else like it in the game where it, you know, creates no. segments, you know? So <laughs> if like Aquarion could replicate that in a way where maybe the crab has a special ability that makes it super unique, like maybe a shield or the ability to like shield other units with like crab powers or maybe shooting like water jets or, you know, making some sort of obstacle in the water. I think, you know, there's a lot of potential there. So, I mean... I definitely yeah. think in the Aquarium will, you know, stay one of my favorites and it'll probably become a lot of other people's favorites too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, on that note, I have, I uh, just came up with a random idea for something you can do to bump up Aquarian a bit. Um, on that note, it, I always think aquatism is something that like is overlooked. You keep the same tech, but buff it for this obviously water tribe that has, that has gills. Um, so I was thinking, what if, you know, it gives you the defense bonus, same as always, but, you know, like maybe their special units heal while at sea because they're mm. all aquatic units. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe like bringing in more like terrain obstacles, you know, would be cool. Like something that Aquarion could use, you know, to make water terrain harder to traverse for other tribes, like maybe making a riptide that will pull other units into it. I'm kind of Ooh, spitballing, yeah. but, you know, this. <laughs> There's so many cool water magics that could be brought into the game or maybe like a big wave to push them back, you know, yeah. because whenever you think of like water magic or like even water bending from like Avatar, you know, it's like you use the movement of water to your advantage. And, you know, it's it's very like I don't know how to describe it. I just think it'd be really cool if there was like a lot of terrain obstacles that could spawn like the riptide or a wave. <laughs> who knows yeah. who knows yeah 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 there's, you know, there's, there's still uh there's still potential coming 
think that wraps up our uh, our episode on the Aquarian here today, though. Uh, thanks as uh, as always for joining us, Riley. It was a real pleasure having you on today. Oh, of course, of course. And I love that lore at the beginning. That that was some really cool lore. I really like, you know, the different tidbits about the magic in the square and the energy and the electricians. I thought that was that was pretty awesome. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, if. Uh, if you want to give it a read in your own time, folks who are listening, um, I do have, I have, I have a plug, obviously, Riley, I believe you have a plug for Utopia after this. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, we're going to be making a little Polytopian Times lore ebook that'll be, uh, free to download on the Discord, and we'll see about other ways to get this out there for everybody to download for free, but, uh, we'll try and have some, uh, some fan-made, uh, custom animations, or not animations, but illustrations, rather, blech, I. Mm-hmm. Uh, in there so hopefully uh something good for everybody to check on out and um well i mean come on youtube it's awesome we're gonna be talking about this in some upcoming episodes yes yes i'm very excited yeah we've got a lot of stuff going on in utop at the moment um we've been working on a lot of cool stuff um we've got a new rpg that i've been working on oh, that nice. kind of works on our utop lore you know, and that's inspired by Polytopia lore, but, you know, with our own spin on it. And we've got a new game going, so if you want to come in and join a tribe and help out, you know, your tribe leader, we got that going. But yeah, a lot of stuff coming soon. You know, exciting times. Definitely, definitely. You, uh, you, you heard it here, folks. Uh, if you're interested in, uh, in more of a Polytopia experience, but maybe uh, not just only playing another game, then uh, hop on over to the Discord, because it seems like there's a proper role-playing experience going on there, and uh, something with a lot of history to it again. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, <laughs> well, I think that wraps up our plugs here, folks, and uh, it's it's been a real pleasure going over the uh, the tribe episodes with you and covering all this. Uh, moving forward, we're going to be going over a, a few different things, obviously, starting off with some uh, conversations about Utope, and then um, hopping over to chat about the upcoming Ancients tribe, and uh, well, we'll see where the show takes us from there, but um, well, until then, Polytopians, <laughs> have a good one. And uh, we'll see you. See you.